Welcome to BitCast on Podcast One, the video game podcast with the Axeman. Welcome back to the show. Today I am once again joined by Philip, and you might recognize him from... Uh, oh, Mother 3 and Octopath Traveler, because Alex here only brings me on for games that I like, because I'm too mean to the ones that I don't. Well, if we're just going to say it, <laughs> I, I, I was actually, that was actually your chance to plug anything you do, but... Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I don't do anything. What are you talking about? I, I don't know. You do VNs sometimes. Eh, not anymore. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about a game that we both like, because that that's the pattern with my guest, is that... It's it's either a game that I need help talking about or a game that I know I can talk about with someone Are you sure and provide you, content. Are you sure you don't want hmm? two hours of me talking about Kingdom Hearts? No. Okay. No, no, I'll, I'll just get I'll just get Alf for that. Okay. Today's game is a Square Enix game though. It's The World Ends With You, which I believe came out like 11 years ago now. Um, let's see. I'd believe 11. I played it 10 years ago. It's kind of like what I said in the Dead Rising episode I did a few months ago, that this game is now old enough to write edgy fanfiction about itself. Aw, and it would, too. (laughs) And this game was originally started out as a Nintendo DS game, but then they made an iOS version. And then, eventually, just last year, they made a Nintendo Switch version, which is based off the iOS version, but also features a new scenario that kind of teases at a possible sequel, because it's it's like an entire post-game episode. Yeah, they've been teasing sequels for a while now. I'll believe it when I see it. I would really hope this is a sequel based off what happened, because I actually looked it up. I just remember when they announced the iOS port. They put on this countdown online, and I was like, oh boy, oh man, oh, yeah. this is going to be great, and then it's a mobile port. <laughs> Everyone was so upset. I think this might be one of the most unique games I've ever played. That's definitely apt. Uh, the dual screen playing system is definitely a lot more unwieldy than most you'll ever see. I maintain that once you get into it, it's actually easier than it looks. Absolutely. But there's very few games that really are in real time but require you to focus on multiple things like that, particularly with different screens. Yeah. It's kind of funny in this entire dual screen, well, actually two generations of dual screen with the 3DS coming after, this is the only game I've ever seen that actually uses it so intensely. I'm sure there's some here and there. It's a pretty obvious idea to use two screens so you focus on one thing and another, but this is the only one that I know that went so far with it. Yeah, and it was relatively early in the DS lifespan, to say nothing of the 3DS's existence. So for that reason, I feel like the ports kind of lose something, since they're all single screen, but... I've watched some footage, they, they kind of try to make it work, but it was always designed with the DS in mind. I agree. Um, it definitely was designed with the DS in mind, and also, I feel like 
the gameplay of it with the DS also built into its overall theming, and so when you port it, you lose some of that, which I think is something better to get into a little later. We never actually did get to go into it later. We got distracted with the whole rest of the episode. So I'll tell you that Philip was eventually going to say that the way the battle system works, most people he's tried to introduce the game to would rather focus on Neku and just ignore the partner, which kind of fits into the game's overall theme of learning to think about more than just yourself and to focus on the world around you. So a battle system that really illustrates that is a really healthy thing for the game's theming. And I'm inclined to agree with that. I think it's actually a really nice touch. And that is how the dual screens fit into the theme of the game. Yeah, let's begin. A little about the game is that it's set in modern-day Tokyo. Well, it's not modern anymore. It was really modern. Oh, it sure was. Yeah. This game aged like... uh, I don't know, what's something that's still respectable, but kind of cheesy? Uh, I mean, it could... Can milk age into cheese? Yeah, it just takes a while, but... Okay, it aged like milk. Oh no, that sounds worse than... (laughs) Yeah, you know, who cares? (laughs) So, yeah, it's set in the mid to late 2000s in Tokyo, Japan, specifically the Shibuya district. And I'm sure a number of people who aren't up on the maps of Tokyo now will forever associate Shibuya with this game. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's where Persona 5 takes place, I believe, as well. Uh, it takes place in all of Tokyo, but Shibuya is a part of it. This is just the Shibuya show, and it is very... Shibuya is very ingrained into the game's just overall motifs and themes, they give you all the landmarks and then kind of give them parody names and stuff like that. Right. And periodically, you're asked trivia questions about Shibuya just to make sure you know more about it. And it stars, as Square Enix was known for at the time, a broody, angsty main character who has to learn to play nice. I love him. I love him too, for different reasons at different points in my life. Yes, we call him Neku. Yes, the main character is Neku, and you've got a whole cast of colorful characters. There's never too many characters in play at once, but they all serve their purpose, and they're all memorable in their own ways, I like to think. Right. So, we talked a bit earlier about how the game is has you focusing on two different screens, so for those unfamiliar... You play the bottom screen as Neku, and you will always have a single party member three throughout the game that is controlled on the top screen. Yeah, and uh, well, this is just for battles. With like the overworld is just typical stuff. Mm-hmm. You just go around Shibuya, and your party member follows you like a baby duckling. Yes, and so you'll always have basically two main characters at a given time: Neku and his partner, whoever that might be. Yeah, which I guess kind of gives away the fact that Neku might have more than one partner. I mean, yeah, but it's on the cover, so it's like, whatever. Oh, kind of, but eh, we'll get to it when we get to it. This is an old game, but the port just came out last year, so I don't know if people are still working their way through it or not. Like, this is a cult classic game, though. I feel like if anyone's going to listen to this, they've probably already played it. Right. 
But anyway, the battle system, he's right. Neku is always on the bottom, and he gets all the touch controls, since that's a touchscreen. And he equips all these different pins, which give him a wide array of different abilities. And the touch controls for all the abilities are different, so you can really customize how you want Neku to go through the game. Meanwhile, the top screen, you... Let's see, how do you even describe it? You pretty much just hit a button, and then your partner will attack in that direction. Or you can hit down to guard or up to jump. Yeah, and you have to press the side buttons and occasionally the up and down buttons. And this is on the D-pad, by the way. You have to hit them to follow a little... Or X, A, B, and Y if you're a lefty. Oh, oh, that's cool. And you have to press them rhythmically to follow a little arrow map, and the arrow map branches off at different points, and ideally you would end up at whatever whatever end point that is indicated on a HUD that's above the partner character, and it's different for each partner. It's probably where most of the complexity lies in the battle system, but I still think it's really cool. And so, like, the first character you get, Shiki, uh, hers is based around having these ESP cards on the top of the screen. They're blanked out, flipped over so you can't see them, and then you have multiple options. You try to guess which card it is, and you can use process of elimination to eventually figure out which one it is you're looking for. And that earns you a point toward a super attack, and the super attack heals you and does a lot of damage, so you really want it. Like, the ESP, tarot card, whatever it is, that's just for Shiki. The other partners have their own systems, and they're all completely different. The controls are the same, but what you're looking for and what you're trying to do changes with each person. Right. And each character is different in that, in getting into some of the gameplay stuff, there's food and there's fashion, and... Each partner will react to these in different ways. It kind of reminds me of Earthbound, now that I think of it. It does resemble Pooh from Earthbound, in that he has certain foods he <laughs> likes better. Um, you're a child. No, 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 that's not what I was laughing about. I was, I was thinking about, yes, Pooh was the awkward character who always had to eat differently. Yes. And so, you get into just pretty simple stuff of, like, oh, the girl likes sweets and salads, and... The pretentious kid likes fancy food. The tough guy likes meat, etc. Yeah, that, that's actually something that's stuck with me ever since I play the game when I think about what kind of foods characters in my writing like, how I differentiate <laughs> them. That's cute. Yeah, but uh, fashion is really interesting because it's your equips, of course, because we're in modern-day Japan. Uh, yes. And different... This game has to do with a lot of the collective unconscious of the citizens of Shibuya, and your most of your gameplay takes place in a plane that's kind of parallel to their thoughts, but you can still kind of walk around and pretend you're in the crowd. It kind of reminds me of Purgatorio and Bayonetta, if you played that. I didn't, but I'll take your word okay. for it. Maybe the audience did. Your battles can actually affect subconsciously what the people around you are thinking, and you can make a brand you're wearing even more effective. Or maybe you'll enter an area that's where your clothing brand is less effective, and it's just 
another thing you keep in mind. It doesn't ruin you if you're going into a fight with an unpopular brand, but it's just a, a nice little thing to keep track of if you're so inclined. It's this cute little message. The trends can hurt you and make you not succeed at what you're doing, but if you keep going with it and own it, you'll eventually turn the trends in your favor and start doing great. This game has a lot to do with memetics in in a few places. It has a lot to say about culture in general. Namely mainstream yeah. culture, how things get popular, etc. It, it kind of goes into the title of the game, too. I don't know if we want to get into that just yet or not. Yeah, let's not. Okay. Oh, the bulleted so, list. Yes. Uh, let's see, any, any other gameplay quirks we want to talk about? Probably not. Not at the moment, anyways. Okay, so, uh, how do you find this game? Let's um, go into our history. Let's see, how did I find it? Yeah. Uh, I was on a forum back when I was way too young to be on forums, and a lot of people I'm calling were calling the cops. The cops I'm calling did, the cops. The cops did not find me. I guess they could find me now. I don't know what they'll do to me. Uh, people seemed to really like the game, and I was like, well, dang, people like this game. I should get it. And so I got it for my 13th birthday because it was a rated T game, and it is a really good game to play when you are an edgy 13-year-old. <laughs> I almost got this game for one of my birthdays once, but then I didn't. I got something else. And it's been a really influential game for me in that respect, because Neku, the protagonist, is kind of a shut-in teenager who is smarter than all of the other teenagers and thinks he's better for it and that everyone else is just kind of a mindless sheep. And that is pretty much what I was back in the day. Was? Ooh! Oh! Come on. Only like half the people are mindless sheep, thanks. <laughs> uh, I remember when this game was new and I was reading about it in magazines with one of my friends in high school, and I just thought it looked really weird. I thought everyone was doing pelvic thrusts for some reason, and all their clothes were stupid, and mm -hmm. all their oh, guns oh, were paint rollers or cannons, or not cannons, cameras. Well, Canon is a brand of camera, but I, I didn't really think much of it, and the, the name of the game also, and just how stereotypically Square Enix broody Neku was. I was like, nah, never mind. I don't think I want to look into this. But then, in college, uh, you're not going to like this, but I was I was getting into the Kingdom Hearts series again after taking a break from it, and I heard they were going to be in the 3DS one that was coming out. So I thought, oh, I'd, I'd better look into this World Ends With You game. I remember hearing about it before. So I just binged the enti an entire walkthrough on YouTube, and I thought, wow, this is really good. And I went out to a used game store, and I got it for myself, and I played it throughout the back half of my first year of college to the point where like that time in my life and this game are just inseparable. I think of this game, I think of that year in college, and vice versa. All right. At the time, because like at the end of high school was when I suddenly just decided I was irritated at everything ever. I don't know why that happened. But it made me relate to Neku a bit more because he seemed to be done with everything too. He sure is. 
And then he got better, and I was like, eh, okay, whatever. I, I didn't I didn't resent it, but I was just like, eh, yeah, they have to tell a story, I guess. But then looking back five years later, when I was doing a, a special forum thing with our friend Alf, like looking back on different games we played, I realized that I eventually did go through a similar development with Neku, that I, I kind of also learned that I needed to expand my horizons a little bit. And I still have trouble with that nowadays. You know that as well as anyone. But I like to think I'm a lot better than I was back when I first started out college. You sure are, pal. I'll take your word for it. You weren't there. <laughs> so it, it came to us at kind of a time in our lives when we could really connect to it easily. And because of that, it stuck with us is what I'm gathering from this. A lot of my general life philosophy was shaping up around that time, being just getting into the old teenage years. And so seeing what that game had to say and having it resonate with me has shaped a lot of the person that I am today. The game is structured in a day-by-day -day thing. Each day is just a different chapter. Neku wakes up in the middle of Shibuya, and he gets an ominous text message that he has to do a certain thing or else he'll die. After that, he gets a weird timer on his hand that counts down ostensibly until he dies. And these weird monsters show up, but he can't do anything about them. Eventually, he meets his first partner of the game, Shiki, who we described earlier. She's this fashionista type. And they uh, survive the first day. It's just basic, bare-bones tutorial. Spark Notes version. Uh, everyone is dead. They are playing a game so they can come back to life. Everyone has a partner. You have to work together with your partner, and if you fail, you will be eaten by monsters and die. Yeah, you'll you'll double die, or yeah, you will, however it's you will supposed to go. Die. Yes. I mean, uh, you're already dead, but you'll be dead again somehow. Yeah, yeah you, you will lose any hope of coming back to life, and also your essence will be uh, dispersed into whatever it I, gets. I think, they, I think they say erased, erased all the time. Yes. That might. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess they, you do, don't... they avoid the nomenclature problem. I, I guess technically you don't find out that you're dead until a few days in, but... You don't... You, you find it, it out... It's, you find it out very easily... Neku and Shiki meet these kids named Beat and Rhyme, and Beat's a tough guy. Rhyme is a little girl who says proverbs all the time, like Mei Ling, and they just... It's, it's not really a double date, but they, they just kind of become buddy teams. Well, more like Neku wants absolutely nothing to do with them because they're an annoying tough guy and some kid, but Shiki is a friendly friend to all living things who just becomes their friend. Yeah. Shiki kinda suffers from the manic pixie girl trope, but she gets better and she gets more development as the week goes on. She's definitely played as that trope at first, but I more or less disagree just from how she ends up having her own problems. Yeah, that's what I meant. She, right. she we, we get a look into her head as the week goes on. Mm-hmm. And they hang out for a while, they do missions as the week goes on, because this whole thing is supposed to last over the course of the week. They have to complete seven challenges. 
And by the way, as soon as you clear a challenge, you just pass out and you wake up the next day ready for the next challenge. You don't get any downtime. I'm not really sure why this happens, but uh, I, I guess it's pacing. just so the Reapers have time to... Well, yeah, pacing. Oh, oh, but... oh you, you mean like in-universe? Because uh, that, yeah. that's just the game. They're not supposed to be doing anything else. Well, I figure... Oh, yeah. and Maybe... Because a lot of the tasks have to do with the humans, maybe the Reapers just need time to scout mm -hmm. the situation. Oh well. Yeah, but the pacing is actually pretty good in this game. I don't think it goes too fast or too slow. I agree, yeah. Uh, occasionally we get a cutaway to some of the other characters who are the Reapers. They're the, guy they're the guys running this game, and... They're all kind of different from each other. They're basically the rogues gallery of the game. There's this head reaper, and he has this underling reaper who likes to talk about food, and apparently he's substitute running the game for the main reaper, and he gets promoted to being the game master by the end of the week, so he's basically the one telling you what to do all the time. Right, he... He gives out all of the missions, he tells you what you have to do, if you don't do it, you get erased, and then you're gone. You also run into this guy who makes coffee. I love Godot. Uh, <laughs> so a couple days in is when the first real shocking event of the game happens, I think, is when the shark monsters are introduced, and Beat just kind of stands there like a lump, so... Rhyme has to do everything around here and pushes him out of the way, but then she gets chomped and, and erased. And it's sad. It sure is. But then Coffee Guy comes back and is like, hey, I can hook you up. Beat gets hooked up because if your partner is dead, you're pretty much dead. You can't do anything without one, so if you lose yours, well, you're mashed potatoes. Really? You, you just really <laughs> said that? <laughs> yep. And so we don't really see from Beat ever again for the rest of the week. It's just Neku and Shiki now. The, there are actually a lot of pairs of players throughout this game, but it, they get whittled down as the tasks get harder. The World Ends With You has a very high death count in the background. Yeah. Like a few dozen, I think. By the end of the game, it's just down to you, Shiki, and technically Beat, because Coffee Guy hooked him up. What he did is he kind of gave him a special pin that allows him to stay alive, which the purpose of that pin becomes clear a little later on. And eventually you run into the Food Reaper and his final task for you guys. And by the way, this isn't a mandatory final task. It's just the one they seem to default to is to kill him. So he's a big boss of the of the Reapers game. And so you kill him, and yay, it's all good. So you guys get to have a wish granted, I think. Uh, so you're led to believe that winning the game means that you're allowed to come back to life. The twist yeah. is that you finish, and then the big boss Reaper says, okay, the number of people allowed to come back to life in this game is one. Oh, wait a minute. It was you and Shiki. Only one of you gets to come back to life. Whoops. And you don't get to pick. He picks and he picks Shiki. So 
she goes on ahead. I think we could probably like stop it each week and then actually talk about what happened and analyze it probably. Because I think the game is very deep and has neat things to say. Why don't you get into that? Alright. So, week one I mostly see as sort of that Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing you said, where Taneku seeing Shiki, she's basically the most annoying person he could possibly have to put up with. This preppy girl who's popular and nice who just is constantly trying to get his attention and won't leave him alone and is dragging him along to try and solve all of these problems. And to someone like him, that's just an annoying person that he doesn't want to put up with. He's as happy as a snail in a salt shaker. But as you get further into it, you get to the actual plot of week one, which is that Shiki is not the super nice, happy, popular girl that she says she is. Uh, One thing we missed is that to play the game and get a chance to come back to life, you have to give up whatever is most important to you. For Neku, that was his memories, so he's an amnesiac protagonist, whereas for Shiki, that was herself. And so she lost herself and instead took on the complete body and appearance of her best friend who mm-hmm. is the super nice, preppy, popular girl that everybody likes, whereas she is more of a kind of nerdy wallflower that doesn't really get much attention from anyone. And so what I think that gets into is this idea people have in high school that they're the only person who actually feels any anxiety. Everyone else just knows how to play the game, is popular, doesn't feel any insecurity, when the truth is that really everyone else is just as scared as you are. Oh yeah, that's one of the whole things about the game, is learning to empathize and notice what's going on when you bother to look at someone. Right. Opening up the worlds of other people, seeing their perspectives, and growing as a result. You can collect these secret documents throughout the game, and a lot of them get into some of the overall intrigue and stuff, but some of them get into the the nature of the Reaper's game itself, and the whole thing isn't as malicious as it first appears, even if it is cruel and merciless at times. The reason they take away your most prized possession is to test your character, and get you to reevaluate how much you really treasure it. In many respects, the Reaper's game is a way of determining who deserves to come back to life. Measuring things like, I know people's ability to use all of the magic in the game is apparently related to their creative ability. That's what the game's world values. But also their ability to work with other people and cooperate. Really tries to quantify the usually unspoken power of friendship. I think that's about all I have to say about week one. Just having Neku deal with this character who seems like exactly the person he wouldn't like, and then learning there actually is a real, very relatable, likable person underneath. And then that entirely goes to... Oh, what's a stream-friendly word? It gets entirely flipped on its head when Shiki gets replaced with Joshua in week two. 
Yeah. So, one thing that happens, well, I think before week two starts, we actually get a cutaway to Beat, and we see what he's been up to. Uh, he decides to get a job with the Reapers. Ah, right, yeah. And, uh, it's like, oh, okay, uh, I guess he's our rival who's now our enemy. Yeah, so after you finish the game, if you aren't chosen to come back to life, then you have the choice to either play the game again and see if you'll win next time, or just become a Reaper. And it's implied that all of the Reapers you meet are people who went through the same exact thing. Yeah. One thing that I think gets introduced during the first week, I don't remember, is that the different levels of Reapers. There are some Reapers that intentionally block your progress, there's some Reapers that are a little more hands-on and trying to make the game harder with you. And then there's the big head honcho Reapers who lounge around in a bar somewhere and send the food guy off to die. So Neku starts off in week two because he has to play the game again. And there's suddenly a lot more dead people who can also play the game. And like this time, he knows what he's doing. He knows what's up. He's got to try to win this time. So he goes out looking for a really strong, useful partner. And a partner finds him instead. We get this purple, grayish-looking boy named Joshua, who actually seems to know Neku's name before he even introduces himself, going by some of the sound footage. Neku is immediately introduced to Joshua. That's really just a nickname. He's got a Japanese name like everyone else. And... Joshua is a jerk. He is a pretentious little jerk. Stream-friendly language. <laughs> he is, above it all, a lot like Neku in that respect, but just really snobby, sarcastic. The unfortunate part being, he's not even, like, a snobby kid that you can just say, yeah, sure, whatever kid, because he actually is always right. Yeah, he's actually smart and knows how to play the game. Yeah, he is brilliant and much better than you, and extremely obnoxious. I don't know how this fits into his character. You're 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 kind of the symbolism guy around here. So his battle system is a lot easier to wrap one's head around than Shiki's, where instead of picking the right card, you just have to look at some numbers on the top screen and see if there's an arrow and it tells you if you have to pass or be lower than that number, and you just go through the arrow map to get to whatever number happens to fit. Mm -hmm. There's symbolism there. I can cover that. Lay it on me. With Shiki, I'll have to explain her system a bit more. There's only three cards that it can be. I think it's circle, square, and triangle. Something and like that. I think more introduced later, kind of and weird mechanics, but it, mostly to get the right card, if you were ignoring the top screen just going down the line, which you're absolutely able to do, you have a 1 in 3 chance of getting it right. Obviously. Mm -hmm. And if you get it if you get it wrong first and then get it right, you get 1 point. If you get it right on the first chance, you get 2 points. And you can also when you get something wrong, you'll see all of the next cards in the queue light up if they match what you just put in. So if you're watching, you can generally get about, like, you can nearly double your score if you're paying enough attention. And But also it doesn't work very well if you're not paying attention because you'll just keep missing your marks. 
So the idea being that Shiki is someone who needs a bit of attention, but will reward you if you give it to her. Joshua, on the other hand, you're basically asked to just give a number that's higher or lower than what the game asked for. Meaning, roughly, you have about a 50% chance of getting it right. But you only get one point for each right answer that you get. So there's not really much reward you get there. You can't get the double points like with Shiki, but you also have a 50% chance instead of a 1 out of 3 probability. So he's not really rewarding to pay attention to, but he's pretty safe if you don't, because he's pretty competent in his own right. Okay. When I played through the game, I didn't really bother to learn Shiki's thing, but Joshua's was easy enough for me to keep up with, so I always thought he was the easiest partner to use. He is the easiest part partner to use, but also the least rewarding. I guess I could have just said that. <laughs> well, I guess the ease kind of makes up for it, though, because you're more likely to at least get a reward. You play with Joshua for a while, and the thing is that this week is run by a different Grim Reaper than the Food Guy, because Food Guy's dead. Uh, move over, Food Guy. Now we have Math Guy. Ah, yes, Math Guy. You don't like him for some reason. He's just memes. He just shouts math things that don't even make sense. He has one really cute math joke, though, which comes at the end of the week. But only one. I, I don't really care for all the math-isms, but I do like the role he plays in the story, how he openly doesn't care about doing his job, and he's just doing his own side things. That is pretty fun. So in week one, everything is structured. You have an actual responsible boss running the game who gives you missions and keeps everything tidy and clean. And then the second guy just completely ignores his job and goes and makes mad science off in the corner. Yeah, he gives you a couple token missions early on, and even those are all encrypted to look like math equations. It just shows how little he cares about you. He doesn't even want to run the game. He does not. He spends most of his week cooking up stronger versions of the monsters you've been fighting for his own reasons. And he doesn't even give you tasks during some of the days. Those are days where the plot just kind of happens on its own and you and Joshua do something else. Right, because Joshua doesn't really want to play the game either. He just wants to track down the Shibuya River, which is some mysterious thing that you don't really get to learn about until later. And so most of week two is just about you and Joshua bumming around the town, checking out everything, and looking for where this river is. And since Joshua's personality is basically worse Neku, it falls on Neku to kind of look at what he could have been, and now he has to fall back on what he learned from hanging out with Shiki to kind of occasionally nudge Joshua one way or another, which doesn't always work not always work. They do get this sort of prickly friendship as it goes along. They're never nearly as friendly as Neku is with Shiki, but they get to the point where they're willing to make jokes at each other and at least put up with each other and be just kind of snark bros. Yeah, and I think that the game does a really good job of using his different gameplay and his different quirks and now, of course, the story cutscenes to show that you can't deal with one person the same way you would deal with another person. It doesn't always work like that. And that reminds me of another quick thing, actually. Joshua is 
in gameplay much worse than Shiki at the start. Yeah. Shiki Shiki has a guard and can jump and has aerial attacks, whereas Joshua, I guess he starts with a guard, but he can't jump to dodge. He can't use any aerial attacks. He just kind of does the same sort of stun thing that doesn't work all that well. Until about midway through the week, Joshua just decides he's had enough and just throws a laser at one of the monsters. Yes, and then he reveals that he can levitate and shoot lasers, and then he becomes your god. Like Maybe he was easier to use before because of the number thing, but he was also a little annoying because he couldn't jump or whatever, but now he's just, bar none, the easiest partner, no question. Mm -hmm. You pretty much just hit the levitate button and then shoot lasers and that's all you have to do. But to wrap up the week... See, I don't remember if you ever actually do find the Shibuya River. You sure can't go into it. No. But, and uh, so Math Guy decides that he finally wants to fight you. No, 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 it's actually better than that. Oh, oh, it is? Oh, right, he doesn't. Yeah, he he really left you alone after day two. It's one of the other Reapers steps in and is like, I could just kill this guy. <laughs> right, so the bosses of the whole thing see that he's not doing his job, and then they give you a mission to kill him because they're fed up with him. Again, I just... Like, the math memes, I can take or leave them. I just like how how much of a blatant, unapologetic wild card he is in this whole thing. Okay, I can take that. There's also, I noticed something that I think the math kind of fits him in a certain way. And it came to me while I was taking math class in college a couple of years oh later. Oh god. Is that they were lecturing me and I was just sitting there bored because I actually do really bad in math classes. And I realized, wow, math is really intricate and almost artistic. It's like every little detail is thought out and it's all perfect and stuff. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's why that one guy liked it so much. Because he thought he was perfect and stuff just like math. I think he saw an artistic beauty in math, hence the fact that he piles heaps of trash in the middle of the city. Yeah, he's... Calls it he, his art. Yeah, he's the trash man, basically. And also, the way you're looking for the Shibuya River at first, you basically just have a metal detector, and so you're basically wandering into all of his giant heaps of trash and getting annoyed. <laughs> so... I, I just love how he just doesn't care about anything. And then he provides one of my favorite boss battles in the whole game for a variety of reasons. Uh, he reveals that he's found a way to... Okay, well, first of all, I should mention that the, the Reaper bosses like to turn into the monsters that they summon. He's found a way to turn himself into one of the souped-up versions that he's been working on lately. And that's how the boss fight goes, and you have to make good use of Josh's levitating ability to keep him out of danger at the right time. And then, uh, you want to talk about the ending of week two? Uh, yes. So, this guy being the math guy decides that he's going to recite a hundred digits of pi and shoot you with his strongest attack, level I flare, which is actually a fantastic math joke. Because in the Final Fantasy series, there's things like level 5 death. If you use level 5 death, if an enemy's level is divisible by 5, then it instantly dies. Mm -hmm. And so if he's using level I flare, that means 
anything with a level that's divisible by i gets hit. But i is a factor of everything, including both real and imaginary, which means it's actually just able to hit everything. And Flare is one of the strongest of the Final Fantasy spells. And so that one is actually a very deep and cute math joke, so I like that one. Yeah, so he's basically nuking everything and everything around him, both real and imaginary. And then Joshua, despite being a jerk, sacrifices himself to save you. So sad. This week introduces some intrigue between Neku and Joshua, because as the week goes on and he gets his memories back from the first week, Neku starts to remember how he originally died. First, Ah, First, he thinks Joshua killed him, and when he eventually works up the nerve to tell Joshua, he's like, what if I did? And that's all he gets. <laughs> and then right before fighting the math guy, Neku gets an extended flashback of convenient timing. And it turns out, no, Joshua didn't kill him. Joshua was trying to save him from math guy who was also there. But now he's dead because math guy killed him. And so you're pretty much left with the flashback at that. Yeah. And that's the end of week two. And then, so it, I mentioned the entry fee earlier in... Week 1, Neku's entry fee was his memories. In week 2, his entry fee was Shiki. So even though he won the game, uh, she was still captive. Oh no, so sad. Yeah. In in week 3, Neku is so determined to win the game that they decide his entry fee, the thing he values most, is all of the other players. Yeah. So he can't get a partner, so he's basically screwed. And even some of the side reapers are like, hey, can we legally do this? And they're like, yeah, kind of, technically, just don't say anything about it. But uh, around that point, Beat, who's been harassing you as a reaper for the last week, decides that this isn't cool, and he decides to help you out. Yes. Uh, In this wonderful scene where his superiors tell him he's on thin ice, and he says, yo, that's whack, Shibuya ain't cold enough for ice. Because that that is the kind of person that B is. That is the kind of person that you have to lug around over the next week. Because yeah. now he is your partner. Yeah, Beat loses his Reaper privileges, but is allowed to join you for this week. Yes. And so I mentioned Shiki is someone that Neku wouldn't want to put up with, but is so determined to be friends with him that she eventually gets in anyways. Joshua is something, someone that he doesn't want to put up with, but they don't really want to put up with each other, so they just kind of make snarky comments at each other. Beat is an absolute idiot who needs you to look over him at all times. Oh, are we going to get into his battle system? And that completely relates to his battle system, because I'm not even going to bother to explain it. It is very complicated, difficult to understand... I can try to explain I, it. it. It it would be a waste of time. Uh, not only is it complicated, it's also really hard to get anything if you aren't paying attention, and you can actually damage yourself if you mess it up bad enough. A good way to describe it is high risk and high reward. Yes, if you do it right... You can get a ridiculous number of points really, really fast. 
The idea being, Beat needs to be babied, but if you baby him, he is amazing. Yeah, Beat is definitely the hardest of the partners to deal with. Throughout the week, we have a new game master. Food guy's gone, math guy's gone, now we have just evil lady. Uh, no, her thing is data. Oh, okay. Data lady. You, you get the feeling she really has it out for Beat in particular. Yes. She just doesn't like him. There's, there's no tragic just... backstory there. She just doesn't like him. Yeah. She, well, she thinks he's an idiot. Well, and I she's mean... Right, <laughs> and she doesn't like idiots. And I think it's a nice emblem of Neku's growth that he is able to put up with Beat after all this. He's gone through enough that he can baby the idiot and pull through everything. And he's not all happy kumbaya with B either. They're still pretty snarky and stuff, but they're willing to put differences aside for the greater good. He will snark at B, he will criticize him, but he ultimately has his back. Now, a lot of the week is spent dealing with these side reapers who've been showing up every so often and fighting progressively more and more of the two of them. I don't know how that works, but... The main plot of week three is that the game is stupid and completely rigged, so you don't even want to bother with it anymore. You just want to barge into the office of the guy in charge and make him bring you back to life. Yeah, and that's when you remember Joshua looking for the Shibuya River and how special he was. You're looking for this guy called the Composer, who the Reapers always mention as being in charge of Shibuya. And you also remember Coffee Guy, because you've been running into him throughout the first two weeks. He's nowhere to be seen, almost. You wonder what happened with him. And you're you're kind of led to think that maybe he's the composer. And so basically you're just kind of thrashing around the whole town looking for whatever you can, progressively getting better and better keys so that you can take down all of the Reaper's walls and go wherever you want. You're getting, you're having to deal with the Reapers as they get more and more aggressive and pushy. And then there's the people. So back in week one, owing back to the mimetic, unconscious nature of the gameplay, is you were trying to make these certain pins popular. That's one mission you're given, yeah. I guess over the course of the game, more people are wearing these pins, and now... Everyone who's wearing these pins is acting like they're in they're basically a zombie. Yes. They get red eyes and they all give the same little speech, which I will try to hunt down right now. Yeah, a speech that's a, a title drop to the Japanese name of the game. Yeah, I found it. To right, right the countless, the countless wrongs, wrongs of our day, day. We, we shine this light of true redemption, redemption that this place may become, become as paradise. paradise. What, a what a wonderful world, world such, such would be. be. Something's kinda up with that. And so as you get further and further into the week, more people have this pin, more people are saying that, until by the end, I think literally everyone has that pin, and that's all anyone will say. Yeah. Other than, of course, people involved in the game. And even then, some of the Reapers that start harassing you start saying it too, with the implication that they're also just just as lifeless. Even on the managerial side of things, the game seems to be falling apart at the seams. Also, uh, right before the last day, you run into Math Guy again. He's resurrected himself somehow. Yep, somehow. And he reveals to you that he wants to beat up the composer and take over. 
So you fight him, but he's too tough, and then he goes off to find the composer, and you're like, well, great, now we got to find the composer, who might be the coffee guy, we've got all these Reapers going crazy, and now we've got Math Guy again. Mm-hmm. And that's what the situation looks like going into the final level. And the final level, you are given a mission by the Game Master, once again, to defeat her. You eventually make it to the Shibuya River after all this time, and she shows up, and you get into a very interesting boss battle with her. I feel like the boss battles are definitely where the dual screen shines with the battle system. Yes, all of the boss battles that I can think of make some gimmick out of it, I guess... Yeah, they pretty much all do. Um, the first week's boss had different camera angles on each, which wasn't super important to the mechanics, but still changes the aesthetic of it, and it's pretty neat. Uh, show tele- or the math guy teleports between the screens, and then the third is a weird puzzle boss, which requires doing different things on each screen. The, the boss with her, you have to take a certain pin off her, and by the end of the fight, she steals all your pins except that one, and you hit it, and a squirrel monster shows up and attacks her. It's like, yay! And then you beat her, and uh, that's it. And then we reveal what the squirrel pin actually is. It's the nice girl from the first week that died. Oh yeah, we... <laughs> by the way, throughout the week, Beat reveals the nature of that girl. She was actually... Oh. She was actually his little sister, and he loved her more uh, than anything. Yes. And Coffee Guy turned her into a squirrel monster in the pin so that she wouldn't disappear forever. And there's there's this little tragic thing that's revealed around that point. Beat, for the entire game, thinks that Rhyme's entry fee in the first week were her memories of him. Because when he gets there, she doesn't remember him. When in actuality, in the first week, she would always talk about how she was jealous of Beat because she didn't have any dreams, but Beat had a dream of being the world's best skateboarder. Fast forward to week three, you find out, no, Beat's entry fee was Rhyme's memories of him. Yeah, and Rhyme's entry fee was her own dreams. Yeah, and uh, this is revealed that now, no matter what happens, Rhyme won't get that dream back, but it's also implied that that doesn't have to be such a bad thing, because dreams are very malleable, can come back in a different way. Yeah, it shows how much Beat really appreciated his sister's feelings for him. It kind of goes into how he died, because you don't really hear how Shiki died, I think. She died in an accident. That's all they give you. Yeah. Oh, one detail that we glossed over because it wasn't important, I like how you, you just have to influence some of the mortals during the first week, but then during the second week you run into them again. Now they're players in the game, like, oh no, they died at some point. <laughs> oh yeah. That was always kind of weird. It's like, oh, okay, sorry. And then they get erased right in front of you because of yeah. show's powerful monsters. It's like, no! That sucked, they were cool. I, I like I like to head canon that maybe the composer fixed them after everything. Yes, good. Uh, so after we beat her, we cross the point of no return, and whoa, Shiki's here all of a sudden. Uh, yes, because you beat the game master, you won the game, which means you get your entry fees back. 
So, uh, let's see, Neku did get his memories back from the first game. I think the second game was considered void for some reason. I don't really remember. Probably because of the way it was being run. Uh, Yeah, because Math Guy broke it, the game was void. So Mm. Neku didn't get his entry fee back of Shiki. Game three, I suppose Neku gets the other players back, but... Well, it's actually said because of the way things were falling apart behind the scenes, the head reaper doesn't actually have the power to return people to life. So he held yes. on to Shiki and pretended, oh, uh, yeah, she's just your, your entry fee now. Good luck with that. Yeah, he was just BSing the whole thing. And so now you are still not back to life and you're walking into the composer's office to ask him what the heck just happened. Yeah, and it's the head the head guy and who you've been seeing in cutscenes sometimes yeah mysteriously he reveals the true purpose of the pins was to control people's minds and suddenly he sends shiki after you yes he puts one of the pins on shiki and so his boss fight you fight shiki on the top screen with beat and him on the bottom screen with neku yeah a little foggy on the order of events that happens next after you fight the head reaper I'll cover it. Uh, you beat him up. He runs away back into his secret cupboard. I think it really does look like a cupboard. And then you get the pin off of Shiki, and she's back. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, I think. No. She comes yeah, back. She, Shiki's back. No, I think I remember that actually they both get knocked out, and then Neku has to go on a Yeah, but for like 30 seconds. Yeah, for like, for like 30 seconds. And then you get back, you chase down the guy you're looking for, who is not the composer, he is the conductor. Yeah, the head reaper was just the conductor. Murder. And he turns into a giant snake monster, and you get a cool boss fight where there's two phases, and you get to use Shiki as the partner in one, and Beat in the other. And I was just sitting there thinking, man, why can't I use Joshua? He was the easy one. Yeah. But he died. Except, surprise, he didn't. He shows up now. And he and the conductor seem to know each other. And uh, I don't think they really explain it very much at that moment. But the conductor kind of captures him and then uses him and also Beat and Shiki to become an even bigger snake monster. Yeah, it becomes a Hydra, basically. Yes. Which you fight on the bottom screen... And occasionally your friends in the top screen will send you arrows where if you hit that direction you'll get buffed. It's That's the final battle. And it's kind of interesting that they make you do it alone. Though I, I guess thematically you're not alone because they still sometimes help you. And I'm, I'm a little mixed on what to think of that because on one hand I don't have the extra help. But on the other hand, oh sweet, I only have to watch one screen. Um... You don't only have to watch one screen, because you have to watch the top one to get all of your buffs. Well, uh, okay, the way I look... It's not very intensive, though, yeah. Yeah, the way I look at buffs is I'll kill the guy eventually, so I can live without a buff if it happens. Uh, Like, they get up to multiplying all of your damage by five. I think they're pretty substantial. I don't know, I, I did it in one try anyway. And, like... You have limited heals, and he's kind of hard. Um, I needed the buffs, but I normally play on hard nowadays. I mean, so I don't remember what it's like on normal. I did use the heals, but I, I, felt, I felt like I was pretty good at dodging. Yeah, that's the final boss. I always found him a little tricky, but I guess Alex here is good at video games. 
<sighs> no, I'm not. It's also seven years ago. I don't remember everything. Uh, so you beat him, and then you reveal exactly why the conductor and Joshua know each other. Joshua reveals that he was the composer all along, and also he gives you your memories back. Because when Neku got his memories back after the first week, he still didn't remember how he died. Now he does know how he died. We mentioned how Joshua and Math Guy were fighting in front of Neku. Uh, Joshua then utterly trashes Math Guy, and then pulls out a gun and shoots Neku. Yeah, so he killed Neku all along. Math guy Whoops. just happened to be there. In this really badly animated cutscene. That was some WarioWare stuff right there. It's horrible. <laughs> I don't know if it looks any nicer on the updated ports or not. I hope it does. I, I kind of hope it doesn't. Uh... That, that's a good point. And so you find out that Joshua was so cynical over the state of society, where everyone is so superficial, only caring about what's popular, only looking for experiences rather than substance, and he saw that the core of this cultural influence was in Shibuya. And so to save the world from becoming so shallow and tasteless, he had to just wipe Shibuya off the map. Yeah, but the conductor was like, no, you can't do that, so... They set up their own little Reaper's game off to the side, where Conductor had about a month to prove Joshua wrong, but Joshua wasn't going to take that thing down. He inserted himself as a mere mortal and kept looking for the entrance to the river and to the point where he killed Neku just so he could put him in the game. Yes, he specifically killed Neku because he thought Neku would end up stopping him, which he did. Yeah, because he thought, wow, this guy's really cynical. He'll really help me out. But then Neku had character development. Oops. And now he doesn't really like what's happening. The idea was never that Neku would agree with Joshua, more that he had such a creative mind that he would excel in the game and manage to do well enough in it to ruin the conductor's plan. And then Joshua decides, okay, one last game. Uh, we'll shoot each other. And whoever wins gets to be the composer. Yes. Because uh, he won his game with the conductor, he has the right to now nuke Shibuya, but only if you play this game, where you now just basically do a Wild West little duel. Take ten paces, turn around, shoot each other, whoever wins becomes the composer. Yeah, but Neku, gosh darn it, he's just such a nice guy, he can't do it. And so, this actually relates to something we saw in week one. In we at the very start of week one, day two, Neku is told that he can win the game if he kills Shiki. One of the Reapers just says, hey, if you kill her, I'll get you out of the game, my treat. What do you say? And he goes through with it because he's a jerk. Yeah. After, after Shiki has been nothing but nice to him, he's willing to just throw her away because... He thinks he can get out of this game, and that sounds really great. Which would have but killed gets, him, because he needs which, a partner. Yes, you need your partner, so that would have killed him. It was all a hoax. And so now we could... And that's when Coffee Guy is introduced, by the way. And now we come to the end of the game. Neku has gone through this whole journey, and Joshua has been absolutely horrible to him. Joshua killed him, manipulated him, made him a pawn to destroy the entire city, and his 
really just been kind of a smug jerk all the time, but Neku still considers him his friend and can't bring himself to kill him. But, much like the event in week one, the entire thing was a hoax. Joshua was not planning to actually nuke Shibuya if he won, and also it was literally impossible for Neku to win in the first place because you can't shoot God. The composer's basically a demigod of some kind. And so he was just playing Neku to see if Neku would shoot or not. And the fact that Neku did not shoot makes him say or understand that people can change, they can grow beyond their horizons and accept other people, and that therefore he doesn't need to nuke Shibuya, there's hope for humanity after all. It's basically character development. The game. Mm -hmm. And uh, Neku wakes up, everything's hunky-dory, peaches and gravy, composer is sulking off on the rooftop with coffee guy who suddenly knows everything because he always did. It's a really weird ending because from the player's perspective, you see Neku fail to shoot Joshua, he gets shot, and then he wakes up in the middle of Shibuya, and everything's fine. Basically it. Neku just kind of reflects on how much he's grown, now he has friends. Uh, now you unlock the chapter feature, which lets you replay days at your leisure. You also unlock a bonus day where everything is silly and everyone likes to play the minigame. Yes. Uh, throughout the entire game, there's just a little kind of card game analog called Ten Pin Slammer that's a minigame you can play, and then there's an alternate universe where everyone is obsessed with it. Yeah, that's fun. And then, yeah, it, in cute. the Switch version, they add one more story sequence, which takes place after the game, and it becomes a sequel hook for the second game. It kind of overrides the happy ending, I think, which I'm not too thrilled about, but... Oh, that's dumb. Yeah, but since it sets up for a sequel, I'm... Like, I can't help but wonder where they're gonna go with that. Uh, I don't know if I want to talk about that or not, because it's... I'm not familiar with it myself. I mean, you want me to summarize it for you? Yeah, sure. Okay, so... Neku and Beat... Spoilers? Yeah. Neku and Beat wake up again. They have to deal with this cutesy gaudy pastel-colored reaper girl who just likes to follow them around and talk in chat speak. She says totes and lol and stuff. And she's kind of annoying. And Neku just has a headache the whole time because they have to get out of Shibuya in 24 hours or die or get erased. But they're not really sure where they are and the layout keeps changing and stuff. And Shiki and Rhyme are there, but they're kind of acting weird. And Joshua's there, but he's not acting like his usual smug self. He's acting like a timid crybaby, kind of. Not my Joshua. And uh, eventually Coffee Guy is there, and is like, yep, yeah, okay, I know what's up. You're inside a giant monster, and she's responsible for it. Have fun. So I guess you have to kill her, but you don't really kill her. And you beat her up. Uh, Neku and Beat are back to life again. And it looks like everything's fine, but then Neku gets shot from behind because, oh, Reaper Girl, she's still alive. And Joshua tried to save him, but he couldn't do it. So it's like, oh well. So he and Coffee Guy just kind of screw off, leave Beat alone because Neku's corpse disappeared. And 
Joshua's all like, well, uh, we don't really need Neku now. The Reaper girl is like, off on her own, and is just like, okay, I'm gonna need to use Neku for this. And she decides Neku needs a really powerful partner, so she resurrects Math Guy for a split second, and then it ends. And we'll see them all again in Kingdom Hearts Full. Why do you like this? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the world ends with you. It sure does. We, we never talked about the meaning of the title. Oh yeah, we didn't. Uh, so it is not about the world ending. The idea of it is that you have control over your own world. Yeah, it... I, By broadening your horizons, you can... Well, I guess that really just broaden your horizons. You can experience more of the world if you engage with it. Yeah, it's basically saying the borders of your world end where you decide they end. It literally means... Oh, oh, here's the end. Midwestern Ope. Oh. Oh, man. Anyways, Neku starts the game thinking everyone else sucks, he's smarter than everyone, he has very closed borders because he doesn't want to bother with anyone, but then he opens up to other people and becomes a better and happier person. Who would... I think, if nothing else, the title sticks out in the mind. I think it's not great because when you first see it it looks like it's the world ends with you like the world is ending and you're with it in a weird kind of way that's almost what happened to neku by winning the game for joshua but it's not really what it's going no for. but i like i like the i like the japanese title better of it's a wonderful world yeah but that would have been confused because there's a movie that has a very similar title. There is, and that's why they didn't do it. And not because it'd be confused, but because copyright says you can't do that. So, pick your poison. But I do still prefer that title just because I think it carries the game's optimism a little more forward. When you say the world ends with you... It says the world ends as the first three words, so you're kind of getting this cynical start to it, which I don't think quite suits the game as well. Well, maybe it suits Neku's character arc. It does. But I like optimistic things. And it's a title that kind of makes you think, just like the game itself. <sighs> so, overall, Neku has a pretty simple character arc, but I think it's just a really effective formula for one. You have a character start off with some flaws, you have them make some mistake, like him being willing to kill Shiki, and then you have them get over those flaws and have them get over something because of... Well, you have them accomplish something because they were over those flaws. So, namely, Neku convinces Josh not to destroy the world, or destroy the city, because he became a better person. And I really like the steps all throughout the way there, namely his partners, how you go from this really friendly person who wants to engage with you, then move a step up to a person who's similar to you but kind of a jerk, then move a step to an idiot who needs to be babied. Just forcing Neku to deal with all of these people he wouldn't want to, but ultimately making friends and expanding his world as he does so. Any loose threads? It's so sad that we didn't talk about another day more. It goes into a Sentai parody, 
where like you and the other main characters all pick colors and then go around trying to stop Team Rocket, who stole everyone's pins. I feel like that's the kind of the... thing that's best experienced than talked about. Yeah, you unlock it once you beat the final boss, so... But the other thing is that it's canon. Is it? It is. It is... So, uh, when Josh died at the end of week two, oh, yeah. and came back at the end of week three, he it's because he warped to a random parallel universe, and then Coffee Guy had to go look for him. <laughs> And he found out that Josh apparently wound up in an alternate universe where Tin Pin Slammer is the center of humanity. So it's canon. It's a sanctioned AU. The worlds end with you. But I think I've been thorough enough on getting everything that I like about the game. Any music tracks you might remember? The World Ends With You has a fantastic soundtrack that I can really barely remember any names from. Uh. But let me hop over to my old playlist. I know Give Me All Your Love is a really good song with really bad lyrics. Oh, really suggestive. Really, really suggestive. Like, for no reason. Like they can't be talking about anything else. Oh, oh it, it, they're like directly talking about sex no room for interpretation but it's a really good song yeah it's like well, dang it i think that plays well a lot of the songs just play whenever but because that's kind of an interesting thing they do with the music especially because neku listens to headphones yeah. all the time so it's yeah, it's implied a... well you could read it as him just listening to a playlist since every area is just shibuya every like, basically any music could come on for any battle. No song is specifically for any given boss. Like, you might run into that song somewhere else. Yeah. Except the final boss theme. Some boss fights will always have the same song, but that song can show up in a regular fight, too. Well, the song we were talking about, I always associate that with the bat monsters. Uh, I always associate it with the uh, super boss. The bonus boss. Which is... Why did they put that song on the bonus boss? I guess they liked it. It's a really good song, though. Uh, but one other thing about the soundtrack is that... The sort of list of things that can play does depend on the week. Uh, when you're with Shiki, you'll run into a lot more pop songs. And I know when you're with Beat, you'll run into a lot more rap songs. So that's pretty... Yeah, the... The songs, they introduce a few more songs as the game goes on. It's to the point where I, I can actually associate a few songs with characters the same way with battles. I like to think Calling is like Joshua's theme. It plays in a lot of his scenes. I Maybe. I mostly associate it with Day 6 when you find out that Shiki is actually not nearly as happy as she sounds. Because that's the first time it plays there and I really like that day. Uh, any other favorite songs? Because I, I could probably um, name I mean, calling like, calling, like you said, I do really like... Um, really, I like the entire soundtrack in general. But Calling and Give Me All Your Love are the ones that stick out to me the most. And Uparts. Oh yeah, that's, a, that plays, that's a fun song. It plays during the Mean Ladies boss fight at the, near the end of the game. Gives it kind of this weird supernatural tone to it. Because you're in 
kind of another plane of existence for that fight. It plays as early as day two of the game, but I associate it with that fight mainly. Oh, yeah. A couple of my favorites. One of them is Transformation, which I don't remember if it plays before week three, but it's one of the battle themes, and it's one of the rowdiest of the battle themes, and I associate it with Beat. Yeah, it's a very Beat song. Yeah, uh, another favorite I like is Someday which has English and Japanese vocals, and they replaced it with Transformation in the ports, but in the OG DS version, I associate it with when it played against Math Guy every time. And this one, I never actually heard in the game itself because it's exclusive to the ports, but uh, it's called Tatakai, which I think it's like struggle or fight or something like that. And... In the ports, it plays whenever you fight Beat as a Reaper. Oh, okay. A lot of Beat songs, I guess. Beat's a cool guy. Let's see. If we're counting the port, I also really like the credits theme on the port. I don't think I heard that. I really like the credits theme in the original version, though. Same. I would throw it at you, but I'm pretty sure it's been taken down off YouTube. Oh. Maybe we'll work something out. Find it sooner or later. Okay, Any anything else? Let's see, I did just remember that there's a lot of musical theming in the game. Oh, the yeah. Monsters are, the monsters are called Noise. The players are called Players. Uh, oh, yeah, Players. The, the composer, the conductor. Uh, what's Coffee Guy called again? He's the producer. Oh, right, the producer. Oh, yeah, and all the Reapers... They're named after the different parts of a choir, and not only are the enemies oh, yeah. called noise, but they're all different names of different genres of music, and the palette swaps are usually within the same genre. Oh, that's cute. Yeah, it's a really, really nice touch with all the musical theme naming it. It plays really well into kind of the game's theming about culture, just how the game is a celebration of creativity and unity, and so... Music theming is a pretty neat choice. Okay, well, I think we've gone on for long enough. I don't really have any good criteria for cutting this one up, so it's going to just have to be a really long one. Oh, yeah, I get one whole episode this time. Any plugs or anything you'd like to talk about? Since you missed your chance earlier? Well, you've already let me talk about Mother 3, Octopath, and The World Ends With You. I have nothing left. There's no more meaning to my life. So we can just end on that dark, somber note. Or we could end on telling you that you can follow the BitCast on Twitter. Nailed it! Okay. Uh, yeah, follow it on Twitter. And uh, you can also hear the show on iTunes, where you can also find the various World Ends With You soundtracks. In including possibly the credits theme for the port. Maybe. And, uh, yeah... Keep up with the BitCast on the site and the app and all that fun stuff, and we'll see you on the next one. Well, I will. I don't know about him. Yeah, I won't be there next week. No, I'll have a, maybe I'll have a new partner. That's <laughs> uh, horrible. It's so horrible I give it an F for fabulous or fantastic or whatever that guy said. Okay, we're resorting <laughs> to memes. I am cutting my recording. Bye! <laughs> Listen to BitCast anytime on podcast1.com and on the Podcast One app.